New Orleans, David Ferry, and the P.O. Box. Writing a fictitious novel is radically different than the complexity of a historical book. Patch and Sherry's downtime by the powers-to-be is not written for the reader to take in the beauty of the Galveston coast. Nor is this chapter inserted for Patch to do kissy-kissy with Sherry and tell her how he feels about her. All those aspects work. With history, if you're honestly aligning dates and times with relevant events, you can jump ahead to the important part of the historical narrative, or you can give depth to characters and maybe enhance the story with romance. So, the gap between Dallas and the New Orleans Oswald operations works just fine. Galveston Beach All of us have bitten in over our head during our life, but I doubt we've had the likes of Johnny Rosselli, the mob, the anti-Castro Cubans, and the intel agencies put the squeeze on us. Patch and Sherry walk into the Lafayette Postal Annex and approach the post office box. In every assassination book David Ferry shows up, and until recently everyone thought Ferry to be a quirky, high-pitched voiced weirdo. That's not the case. Ferry was ultra-conservative with a baritone voice. And he was intelligent. During the audio recording of Return to Dallas the high-pitched Ferry's voice had to be changed when a five-second piece of tape with the real Ferry's voice was unearthed. The transformed voice alters his persona. Ferry, an unequivocal JFK assassination participant, hands Patch a tiny brass key for P.O. Box 300543, next to Oswald's P.O. Box, David W. Ferry. I flew him into Cuba during the Bay of Pigs ahead of the invasion, says Ferry, adding to Patch's lost memories of his past. After Ferry leaves Patch removes a manila envelope, containing $2,000, from the P.O. Box. Patch is indebted to Rosselli for the phenomenal cash flow. The risk of the surveillance and the cast of marginal characters who can easily kill create a constant tension. Another two grand for lemon and lime. Eladio del Valle. La Petite Fleur. 9 p.m. August 2, 1963. Before Patch and Sherry enter La Petite Fleur they hear the weird song it really did make the top 40, Timey Kangaroo Down Sport. I'm not making this up. Eladio del Valle who will die on the same day as David Ferry in 1967, comes under scrutiny by researchers in the JFK assassination. Del Valle's role in the assassination is very serious business, and Patch having him as a contact is not meant to diminish his importance. Ferry's ties to Del Valle link him to the assassination. Guy Bannister, and not to become farcical, but the rabid anti-communist Guy Bannister, who knew Patch in 1961 in the Kennedy Paradox shows up at the bar. Bannister's pearl-handle revolver is in plain sight. Yet due to his memory deficiency Patch does not recognize Bannister, which triggers the short-fused Bannister into threatening Patch. Bannister, like Del Valle and Ferry are on a need-to-know basis with the surveillance operation and the assassination. This is done merely to demonstrate that these individuals, including Rosselli, were a part of the conspiracy. The Habana Bar in 1963 Patch and Sherry, acting on a tip from Bannister himself, walk through the French Quarter to Orest Pena's Habana Bar. Although this is not the beginning of the official surveillance Patch, and Sherry see their target a more social Oswald than described by Ruby and McWilly, as well as Oswald associating with the very people he purports to oppose. New Orleans is the center of the storm as the book progresses with the players involved in the conspiracy, many a part of United States intelligence agencies about to make appearances in the subsequent chapters as the surveillance begins.
Postscript. Since return to Dallas was written there have been rumors of intel personnel surveilling Oswald before the assassination. Having Oswald surveilled zeros in on the agency's true motives as they handled Oswald or sent others out to impersonate him. Chapters 14 and 15 on SoundCloud and complete book at audible.com.